Welcome to the Blue Sky Education Thinking Podcast with your hosts, Stephanie Mullins, Matt Simmons, and me, Kerry Ruffle. In our third instalment of looking at the future of business education, we're examining virtual events. Now, we've all enjoyed physical events in our careers, but that hasn't been possible in the last few months. So the rise of virtual events have actually been a surprising plus point for me personally. I found them engaging and useful. I've made real connections. And I've found that if people invest the time properly, in them and getting the most out of them, they really reap the rewards. Now, beyond webinars, which we were probably all doing before the coronavirus pandemic hit and had mass impact, what have we been looking at? So there's been industry bodies, there's been existing conferences that have been taken online, um, and there's been so much more. We've had the opportunity still to learn and still to meet. Harry, how have you been finding virtual events previously virtual events were things that people would that they'd disengage themselves from if they could people would much prefer to escape the office for a day head into town go and sit at a conference it's a good chance to meet people to to escape the day-to-day work and responsibilities that they have and they're events that have been increasingly important you you know for students going to business school you don't attend business school just to sit in the classroom you attend to make connections form a network meet people and it's the same in any business environment any industry that you go into those opportunities to step away are absolutely crucial and obviously like you said as the virus has hit we haven't had the chance to do that physically And this is really where all these advancements in tech that we've been speaking about over the past few episodes have really come into their own. And we're seeing now that you can sit at home and click a button and attend an event and gain the best possible social interaction that you can from your own home rather than being somewhere in in person. I think it's something that's not going to change in the near future at least, we are all still being encouraged to be separate and to stay home. And even as the coronavirus eases and vaccines get introduced, I think there will still be a little bit of caution. And also I think that the tech, the reliance on tech now has proved that these things can be done comfortably, easily from home. They can attract a bigger audience, they can encourage greater discussions. And I think it opens a door to people that perhaps weren't able to attend things in the past that can now you know get on board and interact with people that they might not have crossed paths with before so as much as there is to be lost from the physical side of things i think virtual events bring great opportunities and it's been really interesting to see how other organizations have been creative in pulling these events together to make sure that they're still impactful they're still engaging they're still useful to the people that are signing up to them obviously we've got Um, a couple of interviews in in this podcast for people that have attended events or have planned events and can share their expertise. So who are we hearing from today? So in this episode, we'll be hearing from our fellow co-host, Matt Simmons, who has put on many virtual events throughout his career and even more in the past few months. We've also got the continuation of Angus Lang's interview. He's the Dean of Lancaster University Management School, and he's looking at it from a very senior business education point of view. But first off, we have our very own PR consultant, Katie Hurley, giving her thoughts on attending virtual events. Katie, how have you been finding it? 
You know, I've actually been pleasantly surprised by virtual events. I thought beforehand I wouldn't enjoy them because without that face-to-face -face contact, I thought, oh, this is going to be boring. I'm not going to be that interested. But they have really surprised me. I found that they've just been much more interactive. And I feel like people are really trying to make an effort to connect with other people. And I actually read an article in the New York Times the other day, which basically said that people have much more high quality conversations because you know who's going to be attending the event beforehand and you can do a little bit of research on them. And then when you go to actually speak to them, you have something to like concrete to speak to them about. And I just think the whole situation has just been a lot better than they would be in face to face, which is really surprising. That's so true because the people you talk to at a conference in person, you tend to just bump into and you don't really know who they are until you start talking and those conversations that happen are organic but perhaps they aren't the most useful conversations you could be having and you could be talking to people who really understand you and can really help and advise and work with you you might be missing out on that you're not when it's a virtual event you can make some really awesome connections absolutely and I think another benefit is how it's actually brought people together and I know you're saying to me earlier it can be a way of helping I think with the whole COVID situation, people have been thrown into such unpredictable and uncertain situations, especially business schools and universities. They don't really know what's happening next. And from my experience with these virtual events, I've just seen people actually helping each other and offering their insights on what they've experienced so far. I was actually part of a roundtable event back a few months ago with the Association of Commonwealth Universities. And it was so refreshing to see people sitting there just saying, Look, this is what our institution is struggling with. Has anyone got any tips? And then seeing people being like, well, this is what's worked for us and this is what we've been doing. Maybe this could work for you. And then it's just really refreshing. So I feel like beforehand there was the element of competition between the institutions. Like, I want to be the best MBA. I want to have most applicants. And then that's kind of gone out the window and you kind of see a little bit more of a human element between people, which I think is really nice, especially with everything that's going on. I totally agree. It's so nice. I think we've all education, all institutions have found themselves in this same boat in a scenario that they've never experienced before. No one's ever experienced before and no one could have predicted it was going to happen. So these events online are a way of connecting and making the best out of the situation. And I think it's also you see universities from all over the world. And mm. I think that's another good thing with virtual events it's made everything so much more accessible for people. But people could not have dreamt of having an event, say, in London and having people from Nigeria, Canada, America, India, everywhere, just humming over here. To, you just would never have that. But I'm seeing that happening and having all of that, despite the travel restrictions, it's just really nice to see how much more globally accessible it is for people now. So true. I think it's breaking down barriers that have been in place for a long time because if let's look at the financial cost of traveling to attend a conference it's huge and a lot of institutions and a lot of individuals simply can't afford to do that but they can log on to a zoom or log on to a webinar or, or join a conference online in a way that they wouldn't have been able to if it was only in person physically and I love seeing that widening participation and getting all these different voices and opinions coming together in a way that perhaps we've never seen before. Exactly. I think it makes these events a lot more diverse and you just mm. get different opinions and it just makes that so much better than it would be before. 
if you had an event in New York, you probably have mainly Americans and they'd all be very, I don't know, you just think it'd be nice to have that complete diversity where you literally get a complete global representation, which you wouldn't have had before. Totally. Just because a conference is hosted one city or one country, it doesn't mean that only people from that local geographical area can go to it. It's definitely meant that, that more people have been able to attend and benefit from these situations from from these conferences so absolutely and do you hope this will continue into the future i do definitely think they will continue in the future don't get me wrong i do miss the face-to-face contact with mm. people and just having a general conversation i feel like with virtual events you don't quite have that just a little bit of a chat beforehand how are you doing how are things going it feels very to the point you've got to kind of get what you're talking about out and you don't have much deviation from that. So I do think maybe a blend of both virtual and face-to-face would be really nice. I think I do miss that, just having a conversation with someone in person about just general things. I agree with you. I miss that as well. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there. The perfect um, result of this would be more of both. So you get all the positivity and all the great stuff that has happened in the last few months despite such an unprecedented world um, that we're experiencing, we're still keeping the best bits from it. Definitely. And I do think it will, the universities and business schools will be better for it. I think they just will have the best of wealth worlds, which is a dream come true. Definitely. Well, I think that's a wonderful note to end on. So thank you so much for joining us today. Angus Lang, Dean of Lancaster University Management School, agrees with Katie's perspective. Speaking with Steph, he explained how the necessary digital shift has presented schools with a wealth of opportunity. Are there any other aspects that you think are really working in the industry or for your school that are really being very successful in this new era almost of of business education? Hmm. I mean, before we go, uh, yeah, I'll come on to that in just a second, particularly in terms, I think, about our reach and reach of research, reach of engagement with industry and other academics. I think mm. this has enabled us to do something. But I think just on this point about student, student recruitment, student mobility, yeah. one of the big issues we're all facing, and it's going, to, it's going to be there when the pandemic washes through, is the sustainability, the yeah. carbon footprint. The carbon footprint of universities is hugely driven by business schools, international students flying in from from around the world. And I think we have to ask a question as to whether that is sustainable in an environmental sense as well as sustainable in a in a in a, in a business model sense. Um, so moving closer, delivering content closer to the students where they are seems to me a fairly sensible way of going. I think it also enables us and if we look at the way and I think um, Ghana for us is a really good example of this is to look at how you can integrate local content local expertise into the curriculum so it's yes it's a it's an international curriculum it's an international experience the students meet up with they we, we teach it in we teach the executive MBA specifically in Lancaster in Ghana and Accra and in Kuala Lumpur and Malaysia. We bring those groups of students together. 
so that's a really good way for them to come together without necessarily traveling. Um, but perhaps I think equally importantly in both Malaysia and, and Ghana, we have local academics tailoring the program, bringing in cases, bringing in evidence and experience from that local context. And that's content that's actually then available to the students in Lancaster. Um, so I think there's use, use of campuses, more localized fly-in, reduction of the amount of fly-in with digital components in the course genuinely blended is creating some exciting opportunities for for all of us. Um, coming to your, your LinkedIn point about other things that it's impact it's had, mm. we've found um, the ability to run conference academic conferences mm -hmm. to run events to run seminars has been transformed now there's things you lose fine you lose the opportunity for people to have the informal conversation at the bar yeah. um, you lose that unequivocally and this is something i think we we, we do struggle with and we, and we will miss and we do miss but in terms of really being able to communicate the work you do, engage people globally with the work you're doing, hugely successful. I can give multiple examples. So um, we have one of one of our annual lectures in economics, we typically, we frequently get Nobel laureate coming and speaking. This year, middle of the pandemic, it was Vernon Smith, middle of the pandemic, it's not going to happen. So we did it on Zoom. We ended up with more than 500 people participating in the event. Uh, and I was saying earlier about the, the value that students find from the Zoom conferences, Zoom, the Zoom lecturing in being able to ask questions. It was incredibly interactive. It ran on for something about three hours. Um, so it was, it was, that was very successful. We've seen similar, we've seen similar things with the programs we do with business. So we run masterclass series across the North of England for that West bank. Um, we're still doing that. And we normally get a couple of hundred SME um, owners, managers coming to coming to the campus. It's it's far wider now. It's reaching a way beyond the travel the travel in audience. Um, we've got a role in running a national training program for operational research. Similarly, we're now pulling in participants from across Northern Europe as well as the UK. So it's enabled us to do a lot of really interesting things. Um, the trick is how do we get social? How do we get some of that mm. social glue that is so important in academic conferences? So I think that's that's enabled us to do things um, in a in a different way. And I know we're we're probably a little bit of a laggard compared to some institutions in having done this before. But what's happened now is everybody's just so comfortable with doing this type of type of interaction, doing this type of this the, attending events like uh, events like this. And I think some of it, I mean, I, I find it very useful myself. You can go and you can sign up for an event and you know you can't go to all of it at the time. But because the signing up gives you access to yeah. the event, you can you can listen to it at a, at a time of your convenience. So I think it's I think in terms of our ability to communicate knowledge, um, it has been has been hugely hugely helpful. Mm, I agree. I think it has transcended geographical barriers, which has meant that a lot of people who couldn't attend events or conferences now can because all they need is a computer or a laptop, and 
and there they are. And it's interesting because a lot of the conferences that, that we attend, so especially in business education from AMBER to EFMD and all the other bodies that set up these conferences, are now seeing a huge amount of attendance from areas they didn't get before. And it's really interesting that you say, actually, the thing that's missing is the chat at the bar, having a conversation over lunch and getting to know someone a bit more informally than, than you would. I mean, how are you seeing that work in, in your experience? I think that I think I think my my raising that point was emblematic of the sense that it is quite it is it is a bit more difficult. You have to go much more consciously and and mm. tag somebody and go and say, I want to just have a chat afterwards. Um, it does work. It's it's the spontaneity of that element. It's the serendipity of bumping into people. You just need to be more one one needs to be one needs to be more organized and perhaps a little bit more focused in terms of making those making those connections but it certainly it certainly can work well and i think there's other interesting innovations so we're a member of the global business school network and we've just been taking a lead working with the gbsn team around supporting the development of entrepreneurs in residence um around the world because we've got a lot we've got i think we've probably got the uk's largest network of entrepreneurs in residence we've got more than 60 of them um, but we've been working with universities in lebanon universities in Egypt, universities in Latin America, uh, to support their development of their um, entrepreneur and residence networks. And that's worked incredibly well online because people are, it's, they're focused around a particular thing and it's given our entrepreneurs, and I can see this, I can see a real benefit coming from this. So our entrepreneurs in residence, we've worked very hard over the past three, four years to really internationalize them. So they're not, so they're not sort of white male north of England manufacturing mm -hmm. um, so we're, we're much broader but the value now of being able to pull entrepreneurs in residence in a network for much further afield and actually putting the entrepreneurs themselves in touch with entrepreneurs in in Egypt in Colombia is hugely hugely beneficial to them it gives it adds the value they get the entrepreneurs get from working with us. So it's triggered opportunities, um, but I think you do need to be much more organized in it. Mm, that's really interesting because this, our whole conversation seems to have raised so many opportunities and so many positives and the way people have been so proactive despite dealing with this pandemic. Um, and our listeners are all heavily engaged in the business education community. They like to hear these things. They like to hear about how we're moving forward. Is there anything that we haven't covered today? Because I know you had a number of ideas about speaking in regards to the pandemic. Um, is there anything else you would like to talk about? I mean, I think for me, I think for me, the big issue is that it's changing the way we it's changing the way we operate. Um, mm -hmm. That we've agreed. That we that's 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 all very clear. The question I've got is whether the model we've had of developing academics mm -hmm. um, over the past couple of decades necessarily means we have got the academics with the skills we need mm -hmm. to do the type of delivery we do. If you start to think about um, particularly asynchronous delivery of, 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 of material. You're, you're doing your podcasts. You're getting your lecture content up there. You've got your expert doing it. And that's obviously replicable. You can, you can use it in multiple locations. Mm -hmm. What we find is important is the interactive, the synchronous 
educational experience online as well. Mm-hmm. And you in many ways need a different skill set. So the person that does the asynchronous content, effectively the performance, the recorded stage performance, do we need as many of those with the skills to do that mm-hmm. as we need of the people who can handle and support the learning skills, the learning facilitators. So if I was going to take a long-term punt on, on, on this one, I wonder whether we will actually be seeing less need for as many research-focused academics, disciplinary research-focused academics, and more emphasis on academics who can really support the learning experience, can support, particularly in post-experience territory, support the learners' um, attainment of their, their objectives. So I think that, for me, that's one, one interesting, interesting issue. So the staffing mix will change. I also think um, it's partly pandemic-linked, but I think it's a broader shift in the UK, the US, mainland Europe, and Australia, around the importance of impact within business schools. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean academic impact, I don't mean citations. Um, I mean impact on changing practice in, yeah. in, in, in the real world. And that says, then, okay, so what do we want in terms of research-focused academics, teaching-focused academics, and engagement-focused academics? And what background do they come from? Um, are they is it people who've come out of practice and perhaps by a, a more professional doctorate route into in, into business education or is it particular academics who may have come through a fairly traditional doctorate postdoctorate route um, who develop a particular interest a particular desire a particular focus on on, on working really closely with with businesses so i think then i think we will for what it's worth i think we'll see a greater diversification of the shape of the academic staff base and probably far greater emphasis on team-based approaches team-based approaches in teaching so your your, your content mm-hmm. developer your learning facilitator etc but also on the research side people are good at going again at research funding people who are really good at doing the doing the research mm-hmm. and the, the four-star FT50 publications mm. and people who are good at really engaging business with the process. And I suppose in a sense, it's us as a community moving away from a predominantly social science model of research, which has been the individual almost alone scholar to much more the big group, um, which is what we, one would see in the, in the sciences. So I think those are changes um, that are going to be occurring in the in the background. I'm not convinced they're co- they're not caused by the pandemic. I'm not even sure the pandemic necessarily accelerated them, but I think the whole turmoil, the whole change, mm. the unfreezing, if you want to use the change management language, um, that the pandemic has caused, will probably bring some of these agendas to the fore in the coming in the coming decade more than they have been to date. I agree and I think that's a really important trend that we've seen in the last few years about business schools actually having a real world impact and that includes their research and and I read a research paper that said a lot of um, journals aren't read by people who aren't academics and one of the main reasons that business schools come to us is to help their research into the media so it's read by people who can actually make a difference and it means we see that a lot we get requests from the UN wanting to speak to these academics we get requests from the government so that they can help advise and it's all about raising awareness and making sure these this work which is ultimately meant to change 
society and to improve it is actually having an impact. And I think that's a, a wonderful note to end on. And thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Thanks very much. I really enjoyed speaking with Angus and hearing about his point of view from a business school dean. But moving on, we're now going to speak with Matt about all the virtual events he's been hosting in the past few months. Matt, tell us a little bit about what you've been doing. Uh, thanks, Steph. And I have to say it's strange to be the interviewee rather than the interviewer, uh, because I guess uh, that's been a big part of um, the events that I've put together now for the last uh, 25 years. And when I think of it as a quarter of a century, um, the changes that we've seen in the last uh, seven, uh, eight months have ha happened at such an accelerated, and I think such a natural uh, pace. Uh, when, uh, when I organized uh, the first, what was to become the World MBA Tour back in 1995, we were cramming lots of school representatives and their tables to meet um, candidates uh, initially in Paris and then in other major cities around Europe. Uh, then uh, Nunzio Quacquarelli joined and we created QS. And of course, uh, that's um, the Quacquarelli Simmons QS and uh, the roller coaster of the World MBA Tour for, for uh, 12, 15 years. Um, schools, I think, were embedded in this idea of um, outreach, uh, connecting, of course, with uh, individuals in uh, different corners of the world. And virtual events were very, very slow uh, to really pick up. But, you know, the pandemic has turned things on its head uh, and required schools to adapt. I have to say just how impressed I am uh, by schools across all different uh, departments of the school, how quick they have been uh, to, to adapt uh, to these new formats. I think, you know, we've spoken uh, in your introduction, you spoke about the importance of connections, actually meeting people. And increasingly, I think there's the sense of, yeah, no, I can still meet people. In fact, I'm perhaps meeting uh, individuals I could never previously have dreamt of. Uh, and I think there's another component that the virtual fairs uh, can be tremendous at delivering, and that's uh, content. So, so just for context, um, in the last three years with uh, John Byrne, Editor-in-Chief of Poets and Quants, um, we've had great fun putting together uh, the Centre Court MBA Festival, which was destined for many of the world's top business schools to meet with you know, great applicants. And inevitably, uh, we chose major markets in Europe and North America, and we'd run around from the NASDAQ Center in uh, San Francisco to the Time Center in New York, where Helen Mirren and uh, Sting had been on stage before us. Sadly, they weren't there when we showed up. Um, and places like the Tate Modern in, uh, in London. So, so they're great events. But even then, I think uh, the idea of bringing everybody together, we were committed to this idea of capturing content and would sit down, John would sit down with deans and talk about their vision for their business school, business education. And I would sit down with uh, the admissions directors of those schools. And, and that was great. We had wonderful fun with it. But as the pandemic uh, obviously closed down opportunities to then travel, uh, we moved to a virtual format for events in 2020, starting with events that we held in April and May. Uh, and, and there was just a sea change. Um, we went from um, you know, having 15, 20 schools in one city uh, to suddenly having what, 28 of the top 30 schools, you know, Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, Chicago, INSEAD, London Business School, Imperial, MIT Sloan, Berkeley, all of these fantastic schools uh, in one place. And it was the gatekeepers. You know, we had people like Kirsten Moss from Stanford, uh, Chad Losey joined us from Harvard Business School. And I think 
uh, as I look at some of the other events that um, that I uh, co-organize, including the Mackie Media Conferences that I'll talk about perhaps a, a little bit later, this ability to bring in speakers. Kerry, you, you spoke about you know great content because you can access great speakers. Well, of course, that virtual platform was bringing in voices from Palo Alto on the West Coast, Boston on the East Coast, all the way through to Singapore. And candidates loved it. Uh, not only did we have uh, about three and a half thousand uh, attendees for that event, a global audience, because of course virtually we could reach people in time zones all over the world, um, but the content, all of those panels, all of those interviews uh, with alumni, and something that we introduced for the first time was panels with career services directors who previously had never engaged in MBA recruitment fairs. And their panels were wildly popular. Uh, since those events in the spring, some of those panels have been watched by about 240,000 people uh, through the different channels, obviously, that we promote Centre Court. So you start to realise that uh, not only are we having, you know, one day or two days and people's ability to connect with us, uh, but the reach of that content to people all over the world. You know, when we used to have events that were restricted to some of those major cities, that meant that we were, you know, not capturing other parts of the country, uh, let alone other parts of the continent. Um, and when I look at, I think we had close to 100 nationalities coming in from all over the world, uh, I was stuck just by the sort of reach that these virtual events are able to achieve. I mean, that certainly sounds incredibly impressive. You think about sitting in a room with these thousands and thousands of, of applicants, obviously that wouldn't happen physically. So to be able to bring them all together to one virtual hub is, is quite an incredible feat. So, I mean, as the organiser of these events, it, it strikes me that you might have something to consider in terms of keeping that sense of community alive when you've got such a big audience to cater to and you're doing it in such a removed way by everyone being at home rather than sharing the same room. So what do you think are the key things that you can build into an online event that help keep engagement high and help keep that social connection alive when we're all so separate? It's a good question. Uh, and I think this um, sense of community really is at the, the heart of these events and, and, and on a couple of levels. When you have uh, these professionals, these gatekeepers or these uh, career services, uh, career makers, as I like to think about them, um, th these are incredibly dedicated, uh, very warm, very enthusiastic uh, individuals. And I think that's something that really comes across and it breaks down some of those barriers for uh, young professionals as they think about uh, their subsequent goals. Um, and, and just the idea that uh, securing a place in one of the top MBA or master's programs is within their reach. Um, I think when we look at the feedback that we've had from uh, attendees of the events, and perhaps Katie spoke to this uh, earlier, they've, they've been very generous in, in their comments and feedback, but said, you know, wow, I never thought that I'd be able to have a face-to-face -face discussion, well, not face-to-face, -face, but a one-on-one uh, -on -one discussion via Zoom uh, with, the, with these individuals, and it's been incredibly inspiring and helpful. Um, but it's also fascinating to see how this group of uh, young professionals all then connect with one another. It's very easy to believe when there are over 8,000 applicants applying to 417 places at Stanford, for example, Imperial's Masters in Business Analytics, I think they have close to 4,000 applications and just 85 places in the program, which makes it the most selective uh, business school program, I think, in the world. Um, so it would be easier to think, well, everybody else that's attending this event is potentially my competitor. 
my rival. But it doesn't work that way. They've been breaking off into groups and whether they've been talking about their study plans for GMAT and GRE tests or um, who have you been thinking about approaching for your letters of recommendation? Ah, you work in the oil and gas industry too, or you're a consultant, banker. There have been just myriad conversations taking place between them. And I sort of see that as, in some ways, um, a foreshadowing of the sort of uh, business school experience that they can look forward to. You know, these will be their future classmates in that very interactive uh, dynamic. You know, this is a group that is not put off by the fact that it's on a digital platform. Uh, and they seem to be very, very comfortable re reaching out, sharing their personal uh, hopes and dreams, uh, but also their passions and interests. And it just creates this wonderful momentum of individuals collectively saying, uh, yes, we can, uh, rather than being sort of just by yourself and looking at it as this mountain to climb. I think that's an important point to look at, that, you know, from a student perspective, we are dealing with a younger generation that have grown up with the internet readily available and online social platforms part of their day-to-day -day life so they're used to engaging with people through a screen more than they are picking up the phone and speaking to somebody or meeting them in person and we've already seen in terms of programs that shift towards online studying whether it's a blended learning approach or a fully online approach becoming more and more popular as the years go by so looking to the future and you know obviously we hope to see a brighter future with the, the virus passing and borders opening back up and people being able to travel again. What do you think the future is for events? Do you think that we'll move away from virtual events and, and get together again in conference centres and you know fantastic venues around the world? Or do you think that there's now going to be an appetite and a preference for staying home now that we've seen exactly what tech can provide for us? hope we all start meeting again. Uh, I wouldn't want to lose that sort of contact. In fact, you know, I think for many people, it's really something um, that, that they have missed and it does bring something uh, of immense value, whether it's uh, for events considering uh, your business school plans or the sort of industry conferences um, that uh, you've been discussing on this episode. But virtual needed perhaps that kickstart uh, and COVID and the pandemic uh, certainly you know, created uh, the need. Uh, and how quickly schools have said, wow, you know, with this, uh, we can extend our reach. We can have many more uh, conversations. Uh, you know, we're, we're not limited. We're, we're not losing all of this time uh, in travel. Uh, so I think even as they themselves have adapted with uh, their own webinars and sort of virtual campus visits, you know, I think that the idea of these virtual uh, events is, is here to stay. You know, I, I talked about our ability to reach individuals, as you know, for the last 15 years uh, with Kiki Keating, we've been organizing the Mackey Business School media conferences and typically would have a couple of events every year that would take us whether to London, uh, to Hong Kong or Beijing or Singapore, major cities across the uh, Americas, across the Middle East and Africa. And of course, it was one city and bringing together editors, reporters from uh, the world's major media and then many of the, the local national players. Again, we've had to take that format virtual uh, this year. Uh, and so, for, so far, I've uh, organized three events, one that was dedicated to the Financial Times, uh, a second one that was dedicated to the Wall Street Journal, and then the third one uh, with Bloomberg. And as I look at the individuals that we were able to uh, involve in those events. I mean, I feel spoiled. We had bureau chiefs from uh, New York, from Sao Paulo, from London, from Mumbai, I mean, literally uh, all over the world. We had 
uh, the dedicated business education reporters uh, all in one place uh, and sharing how they like to work, um, the sort of uh, research trends, uh, faculty expertise that they would love to engage uh, with business schools. Um, and it's been seamless, you know, to be able to. So I do look forward to physical events. It's lovely to be able to uh, shake someone's hand, perhaps have a, a drink at the end of a, of a very insightful and engaged panel. Um, but I think that this ability to deliver bite-sized chunks with key thought leaders and speakers that then the audience can consume as it fits their own schedules and say, well, tonight I just want to sit and watch a panel with admissions advice for the M7 schools. Uh, and then tomorrow morning, perhaps I might uh, catch the uh, uh, interview with whether it's GMAC or whether it's um, a, a Bloomberg panel. Uh, you know, that's just fitting into, um, I think, a, a very different schedule that all of us will adopt uh, in the months and years after COVID. I love hearing about this from an organisational point of view and hearing about how you best put together these events. But for those people investing their time and resources in attending events, how do you think they can make the most out of them? I feel very lucky because uh, with these thousands and thousands of attendees, um, I'm, I'm still in touch with, with an enormous number of them through LinkedIn and other platforms. And they sort of talk about you know, what, what they got out of the event. I think, you know, some of them at the early stages of their planning, um, they were able to just sort of view, take in all of this information. It's you know, perhaps a year, two year long process as they think about their business school plans. Uh, and that's great. You know, Zoom will enable them just to digest uh, all of this information. But you then start to see um, as, as they sort of pick up momentum and build their confidence, how they then want to engage and have these conversations. So, you know, beyond the panels, we have lots of chat rooms. Um, and I think both for uh, schools that perhaps you already had on your target list, um, being very uh, pointed and specific, I think it's great to have your sort of elevator pitch and a very quick uh, discussion of your background. Uh, you know, don't take too long to share that with the school, but these are great professionals. They'll be able to pick up on the essentials of your background and perhaps about where business school now fits in uh, on the school websites, sites like Poets and Quants, uh, to then um, ask perhaps far more pointed questions or using this as the first step in an ongoing dialogue with the school. You know, we, I always uh, advise individuals uh, to connect with students and alumni, certainly individuals that we look to involve in our events, but be very specific about it. You know, if you think, if your passion is for AI and machine learning, well, see if the school can connect you to the president of the AI club. They probably have one, and if they don't have that club, maybe you'll be the next student that will start it. Um, and, and I think that helps candidates to start to see how they can make this incredibly personal to their own journey. Uh, and the sort of connection. Sometimes it's difficult to start and how do I reach people from Harvard Business School or from uh, LBS? And I think that these events are a great place to start uh, and, and really uh, get you thinking about those sort of um, opportunities. So uh, uh, yeah, a great springboard for the sort of research that's required and that schools, you know, they can tell when you've really taken the time to personalize your research. That's really interesting looking at it from attendee perspectives. How can people take it on the conference platform? Yeah, I, I guess uh, the idea of the virtual event, you might say it's this day in April, it's this day in uh, November. Uh, but you know, as, as you look at the sort of content that is captured and, and the shelf life of that material is great. There's an enormous amount schools themselves can do through social media, I think, for, you know, when, when you've got these uh, admissions directors, career services directors, you know, clearly the students and alumni voices that we're bringing together. 
that, that's just fantastic content, I think, to then be able to share through uh, social. Um, you know, if you think about a, a, a wedding, we've all seen those YouTube clips where uh, the bride and groom are dancing and somehow trip and fall into the wedding cake. There's uh, none of that sort of spectacle on offer for these events. Um, but I think, you know, for, for schools, uh, building it into their overall strategy and approach and saying, yes, on this Tuesday afternoon, we'll be sitting down uh, panels um, and, and sharing insights and perspectives. Uh, but that's material that they can use for the weeks, months and years that follow. So uh, I think the, the sort of the, the amplification of this uh, through YouTube, through LinkedIn, through uh, Facebook and all of these channels, um, the event itself is just the start. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today all about virtual events. I, for one, am taking away all the positives, all the breaking down barriers and everything people can learn and achieve through these events. So that brings us to the end of episode six of our second series. Thank you for listening. This has been the Blue Sky Education Thinking Podcast. Thanks for listening. For more information and resources, please visit our website, www.blueskye-pr.com.